Thank you for downloading the One Church Gloucester podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. To find out more about life at One Church, visit us online at thisisonechurch.com. Well, today we're starting a brand new series. It actually kind of links into uh, why we do things like City Fest. This new series is called United, which has nothing to do with any kind of sporting team allegiance. Nothing to do with a game last night, which involved no Uniteds, sadly. Uh, I'm with the rugby fans last night. That was one of the dullest games of football ever to be on the screen. Uh, it's got nothing to do with any kind of sporting allegiance, okay? Uh, United is all about this. It's about the one in one church. It's the one in one church. Now, in, uh, at the end of 2009 and into 2010, uh, this church had a, a name change. It was called Robinswood Church. And then on the 1st of January 2010, we changed our name to one church. Um, side point, if you're a business owner here and you're considering a rebrand, don't do it on the 1st of January because all those last minute changes you're trying to push through, no one's working. All right, so it actually makes it really difficult. However, we pressed on and decided we would go for the 1st of January to go from Robinswood Church to One Church. The reason we did that, this is like a little history lesson, most of us weren't around uh, 10 years ago, 9 years ago. The uh, reason we did that was because we felt that God had placed a promise upon this church that we wouldn't just be in Robinswood, but we would be a church for all kinds of different places. And in reality, how could we have Robinswood Church in, I don't know, Bristol? or Canesham, or even Zimbabwe. How could we have Robinswood Church, Zimbabwe? That just didn't make any logical sense, let alone Robinswood Church, Podsmead, or Robinswood Church, Kingsway. So we went through a process of just choosing a different name that we felt could describe who we would be wherever we would be, which is how we came up with one church. That We might be in lots of different places, but we will still just be one church. And we're going to spend some time in this series describing what that means to be the one in one church. Uh, to get us going, uh, here's our main passage, our main scripture for this series. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, can you turn to Psalm 133, please? Or if you've got a Bible app on your phone, you can pull that open. Uh, especially if you've got the app, because you can highlight these verses, because these will be our key verses, each of these Weeks. Psalm 133, it's only a little one, and it goes like this. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down to the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore. Um, this, uh, for the Bible geeks here, just gonna, let's just have a bit of fun for the Bible geeks. Uh, Bible geeks have fun too, you know. Uh, sometimes, right, for the Bible geeks, when you read ancient literature like this, I mean, this is a really, really old piece of literature, a piece of ancient poetry. Um, what we wanna do is apply our GCSE English literature uh, brain to what we're reading. So when you went to school, you were told good stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Okay, beginning, middle, end. And what's meant to happen is uh, you start off, it introduces the story, all the plot twists and everything happens in the middle, and then it finishes really strong. That's a, that's a good story. Well, if we apply our English literature GCSE 
course to passages like this, we're missing the literary format in which they were designed to show us something a little bit different. That was fun, wasn't it? Here's what I mean. So what we should do when we read passages like this, and this can help us because sometimes you might be on a Bible reading plan and it takes you to a psalm or some of the other uh, ancient poetry and prophetic poetry like Isaiah. You're going to read a passage and think, this does not have a beginning, middle and end. In fact, it seems to have an end, a middle and another end. Because that's exactly what this psalm has. It says this, it says uh, at, at the top, it's uh, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live in unity. All right? Imagine that slice of bread on the bottom. That's the, that's the first slice of bread. Then we're going to get some filling about some uh, oil and some beards and some errands and some mountains. And then you're going to get a second slice of bread because it's there, it's in that unity that God commands his blessing. So that's not a beginning, middle and end. That's two bookends that are telling us the key thing of this story or of this psalm. Okay, so the two pieces of bread, the two bits of substance that are holding this Hebrew sandwich together is this. Isn't it great when God's people gather together in unity and then because it's there that God commands, bestows, pours out his blessing, okay? So this is what's going on in this psalm. Isn't it great when God's people get together because it's there where I pour out my blessing upon us. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want God's blessing upon their life? Who does not want God, creator of all, to be able to pour out blessing upon our lives? Of course we all want that. And that is the theme of this psalm and the theme of this series, United, the one in one church. Um, But who wouldn't want to be blessed? Well, we want to be blessed. I think it would help us to know what it really means to be blessed. Because this word blessed has been used in all kinds of different ways. Okay? We use the word blessed all the time. We were at a wedding yesterday, Yain and Joy's wedding, beautiful day, and the word blessed came out in all the speeches. I'm blessed, we're blessed to invite you into our family. I'm blessed to be married to you. I'm blessed, I'm blessed. And uh, in fact, we use this word blessed to describe all sorts of things, don't we? In fact, just a quick, uh, a quick like, Instagram search of hashtag blessed will turn out so far 111 million posts public posts of people that have said something and then gone, described it as hashtag blessed. If you add praying hands emoji, it goes up to 115 million. Okay, and now, now, you and I have probably posted, made some social media posts and talked about how blessed we are because, or hashtag blessed, and, and you can see this, isn't, uh, this is just a random point on my phone. I scrolled down, took a screenshot, and you can see uh, someone's going on holiday, hashtag blessed, uh, quite a few to do with family, hashtag blessed, and uh, maybe someone's just had their hair done in the bottom right, hashtag blessed, uh, for the hair done. Uh, some three friends have got matching jumpers, hashtag blessed. And uh, I thought that was hashtag awkward, but maybe, maybe that's a different era. And, uh, and then top left, someone, uh, which I was like, is anybody, and anyone know what that was? And then a uh, guy called Dave, who's in the first service, went, oh, that's uh, this person riding this bike at this event. Uh, she's the first ever female world champion on superbikes. That's what's going on there. Uh, so triumph, victories, uh, sporting achievement, hashtag blessed. So here's just a quick snippet of all these different ways in which we tend to see something, experience something, receive something, and our description of that is blessed. I am blessed because I have kids. I am blessed because I have a holiday. I am blessed because I have a motorbike or blessed because I am achieving. Now, 
That's just how the language has evolved. And I think what's going to be helpful for us is to understand that when we read God promising blessing in Psalm 133, he isn't promising health and wealth and motorbikes and holidays. Okay? So when we read the word blessed in, in the Bible, what, what it means to be blessed isn't about stuff that you are going to get for your glory. We've got to be careful of that. The reason we've got to be careful of that is because, I mean, if we go on holiday and say, hashtag blessed, well, what about the person who can't afford a holiday in that same way that we're describing a holiday? If we're uh, having family photos and calling it hashtag blessed, what about the person or the couple who can't have children? Where's their hashtag blessing? Uh, if, uh, if it's about stuff that we own, like motorbikes, or about sporting achievement that we've achieved, what about the person that came second every time? Or last every time? What does it make, how does it make them feel? That's tricky, isn't it? Now, I'm not trying to be like an old fogey of like, stop saying hashtag blessed. It's not fair. All right? Because... It's an expression, isn't it? And language evolves over time. And we use that phrase blessed to refer to a whole bunch of different things. But I do think we just have to be careful that when we're talking about how God wants to bless us, it's not always going to mean motorbikes, holidays, cars and money. Here's a much better definition. This is my best way of shortening a definition for what it means for God to bless us when it comes to the biblical sense. And, And have a look at this. It says this. Blessed means this. God's hand is placing you in his promise. God's hand is placing you in his promise. Now this means it's nothing you can do to achieve that. It's nothing you can do to extra to earn that. It also means this, the stuff that you think you've done that counts you out of the hashtag blessing isn't a thing because it's nothing to do with you. It's to do with God's hand comes upon us and places you in his promise. Now this is, this is important because when we know we are placed in God's promise, we will put up with all sorts of different things. So some people might describe that as hashtag definitely not blessed. But if I look up and I can see God's hand over me, I'll live in that space. I might be in a time where I'm really not feeling any kind of blessed, but, uh, but I do see God's hand over me and I know that he has placed me where I am. I might not feel, it might not be hashtag blessed, but it is hashtag promised. And I would much rather live in a place of God's promise than in a place of what I have earned myself as far as blessing and reward for all of my own efforts. So this psalm is saying that there is a place you can be where you will receive God's blessing. And here's what that means. It means his hand comes upon you and places you in his promise. Places you in his promise. Now this is true of us individually. So we, uh, we said, who wouldn't want God's blessing? Of course we do. Uh, But it's true of us collectively as well. That, that uh, this psalm was not written to an individual. This psalm was written to a whole nation of people. And to say to a whole nation of people or a whole community of people, did you know that God wants to pour his blessing out upon you? Like, yes, what must we do? Well, we must be unified. Because it's, it's great when God's people gather together because in that unity, God's hand comes upon them and places them into the promise and the future that he has for us. We've done, I spent a lot of time this morning singing different lines of songs and prayers of God's promises for us. Well, if we want to get there, it starts with unity. For us as one church. 
If we, uh, we use this word family quite a lot here, and uh, Scott said that when introducing communions, you know, this is, we're family, and we, we want you to feel homely, whether maybe this is the first time you've ever walked into a church building before, we want you to feel homely. Uh, we want you to feel part of this unity, part of this family. And, and the reason is this, we find ways, or we must find ways, to uh, get God, to help God see we are unified. Because when God sees the unity, his hand comes upon us. I would rather be in a church that God's hand is upon, that knowing that that means he's placing in his promise, than look over my shoulder or, out of the, or over the fence at all kinds of other places that look like they're hashtag blessed. Because I want to be under God's promise. So this is, uh, I feel like this is what's going to do during this series. So uh, uh, Nate's going to take a week, Amy's going to take a week, Dr. John's going to take a week, and uh, we're going to look at how, what is God going to do? I feel like God's going to take us through a bit of a car wash. He's going to like hose us down a bit. He's going to get the jet washer out, clear out some of the gunk, and he's going to help us be unified through this series. We're going to use something like City Fest as a, come on, we're going to show our unity by doing this thing together. But he's going to take us on a journey of that so that we're ready to do that. Um, To help us understand how our part we play in that, we're going to look at a passage from Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. And uh, in Romans 15, we get this letter to some churches in a place called uh, Rome, believe it or not. You with me? And uh, this guy's called Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul. Paul's writing to, spends a lot of the New Testament writing that we see is his words, encouraging, challenging, helping churches in so many ways be a bit more unified. And this is a, a great passage when it comes to unity. And here's how he's trying to help this church be, your, be more unified. It says this, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves, each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind, one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And this is one of the... um, one another passages in the Bible. They're called the one another passages because they all feature the words one another. another. Brilliant. Okay. One another. So, uh, and you get these uh, series of like encouragements, commands, teachings, uh, ways to live out your Christian faith uh, with these ways of loving others. So bear with one another was at the top of that uh, passage that we just read. There's a whole bunch. I'll just list a few on screen for you here. We can pop those up. So uh, to love one another, forgive one another, regard one another more highly than yourselves, uh, teach and correct, encourage, pray and bear each other's burdens, be friends, kind to one another, compassionate and generous in hospitality the list goes on and on and on and I I mean maybe this is a good life group challenge like if you're in a life group I think this would be a good challenge to next time you meet together go uh, how many of these have we managed this week 
Some of you are like, well, I definitely teached and corrected one another. I did a lot of that. Yes, uh, well, maybe you need to also forgive one another and bear with one another as well and regard others more highly than yourselves. And the, These are these teachings that are throughout the New Testament that are basically trying to help Christians work out how do we live in unity together? How do we all turn up here on a Sunday and find something that unifies us? How do we live that out as a Christian community? Because we're a weird bunch. Just look at a person next to you for a second. Just like yeah. I mean, as we're a, we're a mixed bunch. We've got dozens of different nationalities represented, all kinds of different languages we can speak across this room. I mean, some of us are younger than others. We dress differently, we speak differently, we have different ideas of what church should be and lots of ideas, I'm sure, of what church shouldn't be. We have all these different preferences and backwards and and all this stuff and somehow we've got to find a way of being the one in one church by gathering together. And the way we do that is by doing the one-anothering. We're going to one-another one-another until the one of one church is ready for God's hand to place us in the promise that he, ha- that he has for us. We're going to do a lot of one another in until we get there. Here's what's really interesting. So we just read from Romans 15. Uh, to get the context of what Paul was speaking about, you have to read Romans 14. There's no Bible geekery about that. That's just, just read the bit before. Um, and uh, what's really interesting, you can see... Um, What's going on in these churches in Rome uh, happens all over the place. It happens in our own lives, happens in this church. It's just one of the things that come up when we're trying to live out our Christian faith and discipleship and live in community with, and unity with others. And it, it, one of the challenges they were facing was this. There was a whole, some of these people had grown up in the Jewish religion, uh, which held a lot of rules and regulations which they had uh, passionately held to to this point and and then Ned made this decision that Jesus was the promised Messiah of the Jewish faith so they made this decision to step into let's use these words not really relevant at the time but they went from from their Jewishness to their Christianity is what they stepped into and that made up a big chunk of people in this church in Rome now on the other side of the church let's, let's, let's say like you guys you grew up with this Jewish faith, loads of rules, religion, traditions that have really formed the foundation of how you see the world, how you treat one another. And then you've recently made this decision that Jesus is the promised Messiah and Saviour that you've been waiting for. Like, whoa, this is so cool. Our ancestors have been waiting for this. And then over here, you guys had none of that. Right? You, you guys have grown up in, in the Roman Empire, you've grown up where uh, you know, hedonism and seeking your own pleasures has been the primary goal in life and uh, you know, kind of do what you want to do but you know, try and try, you know, process things through a filter of logic and philosophy and, and then you've come across this Jesus guy or the stories of this Jesus guy and you've stepped into a place of faith and you've made the decision, I'm going to follow Jesus. Most of us, we don't know what to believe about whatever. So we've got these people that have grown up with all of those, and these people have grown up with all of those, and in the middle, like leanings one way, leanings the other. And, and, and Paul writes, so the first words we wrote from chapter 15 says, we've got to bear with one of those. Those of us who are strong should bear with those who are weak. Now here's what happens if you grow up with lots of rules or regulations, or there's a certain way in which things are done. This is how church should work. 
This is the way in which your Christian faith is lived out. This is the way it happens. You think, we, we grow up with that and we think that's where our strength comes from. And yes, you're right, Paul. We who are strong must bear with those poor souls on the other side of the room, the weak ones over here. The weak ones, the, the weak wing, we'll call them. The weak wing. Got the strong wing over here. Yes, we know what it's about. We have, we have all these strong traditions and foundations. And then the weak ones over here, bless them. We ought to bear with those who are weak. Um, here's the interesting thing about what Paul was writing. Because he was saying, no, no, no. You're the strong ones. So we who are strong ought to bear with those who are weak. Now that like, I grew up in church. Like, no, no, my my faith is strong. I've I've racked up decades of discipleship. My my roots go deep. My foundation is is, is strong. Okay, well, what he's trying to help us see is if that strength strength comes from our rules and regulations and religiousness, then what happens is when people who have come up from a different route and go, yeah, but what about that? Because that doesn't make sense to me. And we go, ah. And we start to see that the weakness isn't in our faith. The weakness is in our rules. So like you get someone, that's, you know, you've, there's a certain way in which you've always read the Bible and someone, some bright spark from the weak wing over here, we were discovering are not so weak after all, goes, yeah, but what about this? How about we read the Bible like this? And you go, oh, good point. Now, now, now not, what's, what's being challenged isn't your faith. What's being challenged isn't your salvation. What's being challenged is your rules and, and your regulations. And then someone over here says, well, what about if we treated people differently like this? What if we organised ourselves like this? And, and you're over here go like, ooh. And they're not challenging no one's challenging your faith. No one's challenging your salvation. What's being challenged is the rules you grew up with. And suddenly we realise like how the weakness of us comes from our rules and traditions, not from, not from our faith, but, and there's a freshness, there's a, there's a strength that comes with you if you are new to all of this. Let's say you've been a Christian for a day or a year, or three years. You, you, you have a different way of viewing all of this that some of us I, don't have the ability to see on our own. You have a strength that you bring this community. You have a strength that you bring this church. Because you have an experience and a perspective that brings us strength. So those of you that are strong, because you're new to faith, you're new to Jesus, you're new to the God's thing, you're new to Christianity, those of you who are strong, Paul says, bear with us, bear with us, those of us who are weak, because we're so easily reliant on our legalism, we fail to make the step into grace. So bear with us, but we can learn from you. Bear with us, because we'll find strength from you. So, so what does unity look like? What does the one in one church look like? It looks like moments when I'm weak, I go, is someone here that's strong? Moments when I'm struggling, is someone here that can, that can help me? Moments where I realise I don't know it all. <gasps> ah, there's someone here who also doesn't know it all, but they might know something that can help me. And that's what it looks like to have unity. And when there's unity, we can all look up and see, what is that massive hand above us? It's the hand of God. 
And God takes that unified church, that unified group of people, those of us grown up with all sorts of different experience and rules and regulations and and no rules and whatever else and different theologies and preferences and ideas and idealisms. And he goes, I'm going to move you. My hand is upon you and I can place you into the promise that I have for you. Because when there's unity, God can command and bestow and deliver and pour out and give every one of us his blessing. So we get this uh, sandwich of, isn't it great when people are together in unity and then the other slice of bread, because when there is unity, God commands his blessing. And then the middle part is weird. Isn't it? Sorry, you are the rules and regulations people. You're like, no, I've read that 17 times in my uh, chronological Bible reading plan. Um, No, no, no. Like the middle part is a little bit strange. Because it describes, but, but what King David really writes this psalm is trying to help us see is, yes, like it's great when people are together in unity, because when there's unity, God pours out his blessing, his promise. Um, and this is how we can see it. I mean, it's poetry after all. Here's how you can see what blessing looks like. It's like this. It's like oil being poured all over your head. I could not think of anything worse. <laughs> oh, I hate being sticky. Like, I'm sweating now and I hate it. Can't wait to wash my hands. Like, you know, a lot of people find massages, you know, that's like the epitome of comfort and someone treating you. Oh, covered in oil. Are you having a laugh? Oh, could not think of anything worse. So, how am I? Why does blessing look like someone pouring oil over my head? How many times do you have to wash your hair to get that out? Do me a favour. Well, <laughs> well, because... Oil represents a number of different things throughout the Bible, and everything we read in the Bible has almost always has some kind of imagery to help us see something else. Well, oil represents anointing and an appointing. So it says, like, so oil being poured over your head, it might be, Arise, Scott, you shall be king. And to appoint Scott as king, we pour oil over his head. That would be a, a way of anointing him and appointing him. So it says to be blessed is like being appointed and anointed. So we are blessed not because of cars and holidays. We are blessed because God has anointed and appointed you for the promises that he has for you. And he has anointed and appointed us, the one, because of the promises that he has for one church. So there's an anointing and an appointing that takes place because oil, it's like oil being poured over your head. And if you were alive all the way back in Psalm 133, you'd be like, wow, just like the kings are anointed. Then it goes on, doesn't it? It says this, poured over your head and uh, running down your beard. Ladies, you need to use your imagination. I paused in the wrong space in that sentence. Use your imagination. So here's what's going on here. There's, there's not just an oil for you. This oil is dripping off your head and running down your chin, beard or no beard. Anyone done Slimming World? You'll know if you've done Slimming World or someone that's done Slimming World because their cupboard is full of fry light. I swear Frylight must have made an absolute killing out of Slimming World. If you're unfamiliar with Frylight, Frylight is that spray that is like one squirt is one calorie. And it's kind of like instead of using olive oil, which is tasty, it's using Frylight to cook your food in. And it says, you know, like one spray, what you're meant to do, you put a couple of squirts in the frying pan and I don't know if you've ever used that. Like, I can't be the only one here that uses that. I put a few squirts and I go, are you having a laugh? I can't, can't cook a dinner in that. I know it's like one calorie, one spray, so I like put a couple of squirts in. 
Check Louise isn't looking. <laughs> I'm gonna get this pan nice and wet with oil. Because then you can actually cook your dinner, right? Can I get an amen? Thank you. When God talks about an anointing and an appointing an oil on your head, it is not a fry light anointing. Where he says, step in front of me. Bless you, my child. Where's the rest of it? I can't do a lot with that. I can't cook the dinner of my life with a couple of sprays of fry light. Fetch me the olive oil. And here's what it is. It is. It's precious olive oil that's taken, crushed from the purest olives, and it's filled a full horn of oil, and it goes over your head, and there's so much of it, it starts running down your face, down your cheek, down your chin, off your beard. Why? Because the anointing isn't just for you. Your appointing isn't just for you. If you're anointed just to bless yourself, that's no blessing at all. There's an anointing on your life that's meant to drip off and start to splash the people that are around you. You can splash me with your oil if it's metaphorical, I'll allow it. Because the anointing isn't just for you, this anointing. And then, then it tells, it's not just, not just any old beard, it's Aaron's beard. It's got weirder. Well, who's Aaron? Aaron was the first high priest. What's the job of a high priest? The job of a high priest was to be the go-between between man and God. And the appointing that comes upon you for you to step into his promise and his biblical blessing is about you connecting people with God. Now we have a thing here, a thing in the New Testament that we lean on heavily, which is called the priesthood of all believers. I am not your priest. Never pray to me. I don't pray to me. I am not your go-between between you and God. You're the priest. It's your oil on your head, running down your Aaron's beard, because you are the priest. And you are the priest to your office, you're the priest to your college, you're the priest to your school, you're the priest where you are in your family, and the anointing comes upon you, this anointing oil, so you can connect man with God. This poetic picture creates this second image as well. So it's, it's, it's like oil, it's running down your head and down your beard and off your collar because it's flowing so much and off Aaron's beard. And it's like, it's as if the Jew of Hermon is running down onto the mountain of Zion. I'm going to, I need about seven hours for this, are we ready? Uh, I'll try it in 70 seconds. Um, imagine a city, imagine a city called Jerusalem in the near Middle East, uh, all that kind of, everything you imagine about the typical climate of the near Middle East, dusty, parched land, brown uh, surroundings, and uh, the heat bears down on that soil during the day, and at night it's chilled, but there's very little moisture, there's very little rainfall. And around this city is a little bit like Gloucester, surrounded by a number of different hills. And one of those hills is called Mount Zion, and, and actually Mount Zion became synonymous with so many other it, so much other imagery, which is why I need the seven hours, and Mount Zion got, gets called this pl- the city in which God inhabits. Wow, the place God lives, and this mountain and the city become synonymous, and one geo- almost it, pictorially as one place, and, but then there's this other mountain. And a bit like if you're on the Golden Valley Bypass, driving from Gloucester to Cheltenham, and you look at the other hills, and you're like, there's snow up there, it's May. How is there snow up there? Well, because they're so high, they have their own climate. Well, they have a different climate to the hills that we're going to have on, like here at Robinswood Hill. So because of its climate, this Mount Hermon, because it's twice the size of any of the other hills that surround this city of this dry, parched land, because of it's so high, every morning this dew would fall on the, on the mountain. 
And because this, this dew would soak into the ground, this mountain stood out because it was green and all the others were dry. And then it paints this picture, this psalm does. We're in the sandwich filling here between these two loaves of bread of what is this unity that results in God pouring out his blessing. He says, was a bit like this. Sometimes you feel a bit Mount Zion-y. You feel a bit dry. You feel a little bit parched. You feel a little bit baked by the sun. But it says unity looks like this. God's blessing looks like this. It's like the mountain next to you that's luscious and green. The dew falls so heavily it begins to create little puddles. And then those puddles create little streams. And those streams begin to create rivers. And rivers begin to flow into the city below and the mountains that surround it. So you turn up feeling a bit Mount Zion-y, but the person next to you feels a bit Mount Hermony, and their dew falls on your dry parched land. Let me just touch on one point I'd make if I did have seven hours. The place that God inhabits still looks to the Mount Hermon for some, some of its nourishment. Isn't that amazing? That God inhabits your life, but there's someone around you today who is full of dew. And the oil is running down their head and off their beard. And this is what unity looks like. It looks like this. It looks like Mount Zion and Mount Hermon meeting in one place, nourishing one another, blessing one another, being good to one another, forgiving one another, bearing with one another looking out for one another, being hospitable to one another, being generous to one another. It's the Hermans and the Zions all in one mix, creating this great picture of how one nourishes another. Isn't it brilliant when God's people live together in unity? Isn't it, better, isn't it brilliant when the one is in one church? Because there, God's hand comes upon it and places you into his promise where he pours out and pours out and commands and bestows his blessing all of that to say this we are not the one in one church we are the one of one church we're the one of one church so one church take that oil stop mopping it away and allow it to splash on the people that are around you that might look like this it might look like turning up a bit early for second service so you can just be nice to someone who's leaving the first service it might mean having someone around for a rainy barbecue this afternoon or next week it's going to look like this at city fest us all gathering together to serve one another and serve our city we're going to find some ways in which we can one another one another and be an exhibit of what it looks like when god's people live in unity together and his blessing is being poured out upon us stand because we're going to pray and we're going to use this song to be a bit of an anthem of our unity this morning God I'm thankful that it is not my own efforts that can achieve anything that's worthy of your blessing instead it's you and your generosity and your the giving of your son and I pray that as for those of us if we're feeling a bit Mount Zion-y, that today has been a day of refreshing because of the Mount Hermans that are among us. And the Mount Hermans and the Aarons in this room who have, have dew running off them and oil pouring out upon us, that you have anointed them and appointed them as you have all of us in our season to exhibit unity and for your blessing to be bestowed upon us individually and upon us as one church. And we believe in your promise. Amen.